0: The Chicago Bears proved they're for real with a big win over the Minnesota Vikings. We take a look at their upcoming game in Detroit this Thursday, and then we'll cover all the action that did happen and will happen in this next week of NFL action. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. Hey everybody, it's Robert Schmitz, your host on Bear With Me, a podcast where we primarily focus on the Chicago Bears, but we'll also make sure that we cover everything else that happened in the NFL. And new to this episode, we'll also preview shortly everything that will happen. So if you're into the Bears, stick around for the first part of this show where I'll review the Vikings game that just occurred and touch quickly on the Detroit game coming up and then we'll go into covering what did happen and what will happen. So without further ado, let's get into it. You know, if I was going to put the Bears win over the Minnesota Vikings into one word, it would be simply this. Wow. As much as I, I love the Bears and as much as I love the team, I honestly didn't expect the defense to play that well against this Minnesota offense. I mean, we're talking about a defense that absolutely shut down, a fairly decent quarterback, and especially a pretty good stable of running backs. Dalvin Cook hasn't been the same since his ACL, but this game sure didn't help. Latavius Murray's been an absolute force in his absence, so to hold that group to 13 carries and 17 yards total is pretty dadgum impressive. Kirk Cousins, just like we thought he would, ultimately faded when the spotlight was brightest, and while that's too bad for Vikings fans, I'll tell you what, it's pretty freaking great for us. It was a whole lot of fun to watch Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson pick off passes, as well as Khalil Mack, who, being the unstoppable force that he is, not only forced a fumble, but also recovered it himself. He's been a machine for the Bears all season, and he was again tonight, coming up when it mattered with that fumble that was just mentioned and also a sack. But if I'm giving out defensive player of the game, I personally think it has to go to Akeem Hicks. That guy was absolutely incredible. He had a sack and five, five tackles for loss on the night. He was just screeching through the Vikings offensive line. All night long, absolutely tore them up and made yardage of any kind extremely difficult to get. Coming into the game, Minnesota's offense was only ranked 17th using Football Outsiders DVOA statistic. But either way, all you can ask for from a defense is that they shut out the opposing offense, and we did so. We did so really, really well. This Bears defense is special, and it feels like we've got players on every side of the defense that you could possibly get asked for. I mean for crying out loud, the fan base is currently embroiled in this battle of do we sign our nickel corner, Callahan long term, or do we sign our strong safety? When you're talking about role players like that and which one matters more, I think that means you've got absolutely everything else locked down. I want to give a special shout out to Danny Trevathan, who's been the unspoken stud of this defense and a motor that keeps the darn thing turning. We've got so Many motors on this team with Jackson playing well, Fuller playing well, uh Hicks playing well, Mac obviously, that when you're fifth on a great defense and you're still playing at an exceptional level like Trevathan is, you're gonna get you're you're gonna get ridden over a little bit. But I just want to make sure that somebody out there is saying his name, saying, Danny, way to go. You're doing a great job. Also, Roquan Smith, he looks like everything that we were hoping he might be. And I personally love seeing that. So, now that we've gone and raved about the defense, let's take a second and review the offense. Because it gets a little bit, uh, shall we say, subjective. I mean, the obvious and most common way to look at this game is to say, well, the Bears offense played really, really well in the first half. And then, you know, Minnesota's defense adjusted and they played a lot poorer in the second half. But I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. In this game, Mitch Trubisky was 20 for 31 with 165 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 61.9. We generally cite his statistics, so we're going to again here. It's also worth noting that he had 10 carries for 43 yards. Uh, A lot of his scrambles came at really, really big moments, and I just want to point out that the Trubisky we saw last night looked like a totally different player than the Trubisky we saw in green Bay. That Trubisky was overwhelmed. He was out of his depth. He looked like he was completely incompetent. If we could be really, really honest with ourselves and this Trubisky looked like your generic. Okay. Quarterback. I don't think he played very well. I mean, I don't think anybody does. Um, But I especially want to just harp that I don't think Trubisky made great decisions. I don't think he was utterly phenomenal, but I got to give him credit for where it is due. He came up with big plays when he had to. He limited his mistakes in general, and he made the night tough enough for the Vikings that they had to overcome more than they were able to. Uh, I said this on Twitter during the game, but the most important thing that I could take away from this is that Mitch Trubisky looked to me like he was directly responsible for all 14 points of our first half's offense, whether it was scrambles on third down, big throws on various downs, Uh, Mitch Trubisky led us to a two-touchdown lead. We took that two-touchdown lead and used it to just strangle the Vikings' offense over the course of the rest of the game. So I do want to just tip my metaphorical cap to Trubisky that he did a pretty darn good job scoring original points. With that said, so hear me, he got credit for scoring the points. How he did it wasn't super pretty. That touchdown pass he had to Anthony Miller, let's be honest, Bears fans, it wasn't a very good throw. We really ought to be giving more credit to Miller for catching it all together. That throw wasn't super good, and not a whole lot of guys can pull a ball off the turf quite the way Miller did. So thank you, Anthony Miller. Great touchdown catch. Not to mention, going back to Trubisky and some of the things he did right and did wrong, he did a great job of using his legs in the first half. That also came at his detriment in the second half directly because all it took was a quarterback spy from the linebacking core and Trubisky's legs were completely neutralized and suddenly we saw that he didn't really know how to throw downfield anymore. The problem is is that throwing downfield is how you can repeat success in the passing game. You can't run on everybody. Blake Bortles has been down that road. Michael Vick has been down that road. Tim Tebow has been down that road. And it's a short, short road. The NFL is a copycat league. And with how well the Vikings were able to neutralize the Bears' ability to score in the second half, I have to assume that this is not the last time Mitchell Trubisky is going to see somebody spying his running ability. The really interesting part about when the Vikings took the runaway was that it actually didn't stop Chicago's ability to to rack up yardage. Chicago had 308 yards on the day, and right about half of them came in the first half, and half of them came in the second half. Which comes at a real surprise, because that really means that the only thing that the Bears offense did any better in the first half than it did in the second half was to score points. Now that may come across as obvious, but you definitely got this impression that the Bears offense was being suffocated in the second half compared to this electric super performance in the first half. Yardage totals were pretty much the same. That said, let me go ahead and read off the drive result charts and you tell me which half is which. Set one, field goal, interception, touchdown, field goal, end of half. Set two, punt. Interception. Fumble. Punt. Field goal. End of half. Now, I probably didn't make this particularly hard, but that first one was the first half, and it sounded a lot better. It's got a touchdown, multiple scoring drives sprinkled in there, and that second half is really rough. Two turnovers against a great defense. One of those turnovers coming inside the 30 is never good, and it's not going to win us a whole lot of games going forward against quality opponents. But hey, we won this one, and there's not a whole lot to complain about. One funny story tidbit that I'll point out if you're watching him, it looks like Tariq Cohen was really, really feeling that huge hit he took against the Lions last week because he made sure to go down and go out of bounds just about every chance he got. This is probably a good development for Tariq, because it'll make sure that he's more healthy in the long term, and he's not going to get absolutely walloped as often, but it's pretty funny to watch. So next time you're watching the Bears, you see Tariq Cohen get the ball and start scampering away. Check whether or not he takes the hit, because I'm starting to see him just jump onto the ground or jump out of bounds any chance he can. Now, bringing up Tariq Cohen, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about his 21-yard scamper in that really awesome spinorama play he had against Dirty Harry. Uh, He's a special player. It's really fun to have him on our team. His speed and agility creates a combination that's just not been common on Bears teams of the past. And so having him on this year's team, especially with Matt Nagy's just masterpiece of an offense has been so much fun. I can only imagine where this offense is going to go in the future, considering that they're all getting further and further accustomed to this Matt Nagy, super revolutionary offensive thing we have going on. But I'll tell you what, uh, we're probably going to need a little bit more out of the wide receivers. This is a gut feeling that I got watching the game, but it certainly looked like not a lot of guys got open Early in the season, we were criticizing Trubisky because we knew for a fact people were getting open, especially again that game against the Packers, and so we knew that Trubisky had to clean up his reads or else the Bears weren't going to get any better on offense. Well, last night against the Vikings, it sure looked to me like the Vikings defensive backs were covering absolutely everybody all across the field. That interception that Mitch Trubisky threw to Taylor Gabriel is a perfect example of this because it actually looked to me like Trubisky put the ball right where he wanted to. He put that ball on a dime right into Taylor's hands but of course the ball didn't quite get there because it got picked off. That kind of tight coverage that checked down Trubisky's decision-making seemed to sort of define the night, as you never really saw a whole bunch of throws downfield. He didn't spray the ball a whole lot. He generally tried to pick up between 8 and 12 yards through the air and then use his legs to just keep grinding out those first downs. Then, once Minnesota just shoved their whole defense forward, we saw our offense, of course, uh, start to stumble a little bit more, fail on those third downs, and start to give the ball back ultimately we're just going to need to see more obviously I don't expect against teams like the Rams the Saints and others uh, for our guys to just be running free all game as if it's just Tampa Bay all over again but we are going to see more than we saw last night thankfully the defense was able to hold it together and I'd be remiss if I didn't give Cody Parkey a shout out thank you bud for making all three of your field goals one of them a 48 yarder and boy did it feel like it was longer than that It's funny looking back because we've had so many kickers, uh, namely Robbie Gould, that have taken and made much longer game-winning kicks between 52, 53 yards, often 51 or 50. Uh, But Parkey's 48-yarder that was lined up right in the middle of the field felt like it was just so long. Good to see him drill it. Good to see the Bears go home with a win. So, now that we've moved past the Vikings, let's go on to the Lions and talk about them a little bit. You know, there's not a ton to talk about because we just played them last week. Looks like Darius Slay's coming back, so that means that the passing game is going to have a bit more of a challenge against one of the best corners in the NFL. That being said, it sounds like our run defense is going to have a slightly easier day with on Johnson going down with a knee sprain. I will be shocked if he's able to play. The big X factor that we're going to see in this Thursday's game is the fact that it's such a short turnaround and the Bears have to travel to Detroit that I don't really know what side of the Bears we're going to see. Are we going to see this dominating super team that just came out and fought so hard with the Vikings? I tend to doubt it. Games like this that come right after the biggest win of the season are common letdown games for almost any NFL team. It's human nature. I mean, staying locked in over that long of a period, you know, two specific football games, is really tough, especially when you got to change opponents. That said, I do think this is mitigated a little bit considering that the Bears go from playing the Lions to playing the Vikings to playing the Lions again. If we were playing a team that we had very little familiarity with, like, uh, I don't know, the Saints or the Bengals or some other team like that, I think this game would be a little bit tougher. But because it's the Lions and it's in Detroit in a dome, the Bears might be able to field a little bit more of themselves than you would expect. The Other thing that goes in the Bears' favor is that I believe that the Lions are going to be suffering from the same effect. They just beat the Panthers. The Panthers are a very good team, and they beat them on a last-second two-point conversion attempt that we could talk about another time. But the Vikings, debatably speaking, just got their biggest win of the season, too. So I don't expect them to look very good on Thursday morning. Ultimately, I think this game comes down to which team comes out the sleepiest and which team plays like they have the most to lose. I think the Bears are the team that comes out a little bit more energetic, mostly due to their talent, and plays like they're the 7-3 and three division leaders on the road against a team that they don't particularly like. I think the loss of on Johnson does a lot more to hurt the Lions than they might think it does, not to mention that they're still a little bit depleted when it comes to receiving weapons, so I tend to think the Bears' corners are going to be able to <coughs> bear down pretty hard on these Lion receivers. I'm not expecting another six sacks, but I do think that if the Bears defense can manufacture about three sacks and some pressure, they'll be able to put Stafford in some unfavorable situations and take advantage of it for a pretty cool-handed win. I'm expecting something a little similar to the Jets and the Bills win that where they were free and easy. It was like never really in doubt, uh, but a pretty convincing victory nevertheless. But I'll be honest, I have seen Detroit surprise. Their wins are all against really good teams. We're talking about the Patriots. We're talking about the Dolphins. Well, okay, they're hard to us, so shut up. Anyways, moving on, we're talking about the Packers, and we're talking about the Panthers. It's literally as if they've lost to all the teams that they should beat, and they've beaten all the teams they should lose to. So here's the scary part. The Bears are now a good team. And we're in their house. Three of their four current wins have come at home. So with this being a trap game, emotionally, for each team, just like we talked about earlier, it wouldn't shock me if the Lions are able to win. I stand firm in my prediction, thinking that the Bears ultimately will win this game. But... If the Vikings do win, my jaw isn't going to hit the floor. It'd be more embarrassing for our division-leading Bears to lose the game than it would be outright shocking that the Lions were able to beat us. We are division rivals, after all. That creates for bad blood and zany outcomes. Regardless of how the game turns out, it'll certainly be an interesting start to your Thanksgiving morning. And speaking of, I hope every one of my listeners has a great Thanksgiving. Segwaying now to the NFL at large, let's go over last week's game and we'll touch on each one briefly just as we've done in the past before we attempt to do the same looking forward at each game coming up. Thursday Night Football this last week featured the Packers losing at the Seahawks 24-27. to And, I mean, it was Thursday Night Football. It was a while ago. Y'all have all heard all about this. Long story short, Russell Wilson plays great at the end of the game, as he's wont to do. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do enough of the little things. And, ironically enough, doesn't actually trust his running game. And Aaron Jones, the new stud for the Packers, to take it home. They lose. Great for the Bears. Next up, the Cowboys played the Falcons in a game that turned into a barn burner kind of out of nowhere that suddenly has Dallas looking like they might just squeak into the playoffs. We are two weeks removed from an absolutely embarrassing game against the Tennessee Titans that had every Dallas fan saying to themselves, fire Jason Garrett, and here they are, potentially about to squeak into the playoffs. But frankly, if we're honest, this seems to be par for the course with the Cowboys year after year after year doing just enough to not change anything go 8-8 eight and eight and not get a whole lot better. I'm cheering for the boys. I'm from Dallas, Texas, but I don't know, guys. I mean, maybe we'll get in the playoffs. Maybe we won't. The Falcons ultimately had their season die. Uh, now they're sitting at 4-6. and six. They didn't have a great game, and they lost to a visiting team that isn't all that great. Tough break for them. I can't imagine being a Falcons fan right now. After that halftime of the Super Bowl, things just got way, way, way worse, didn't they? Segwaying now to Bengals at Ravens, uh, the Bengals lost the game 21-24, to and if you haven't seen the highlights, I recommend you watch it. It's fairly interesting. Lamar Jackson, in his first start in the NFL, absolutely shatters the record set by Tebow for most quarterback runs in a single game, topping Tebow's mark of 22 with a mark of 27 quarterback runs. You heard me right. Lamar Jackson attempted more runs than he did passes in a game. And I'll tell you what. He looks like a special runner and a bad passer. There's this play uh, late in the game where Lamar Miller jukes a guy out of his shoes only to throw the ball straight into a Bengal defender's hands. I think that's going to be the mark of Lamar Jackson's career. Not quite enough throwing ability to really make an impact in the NFL. I mean, if Trubisky's an inaccurate thrower, you can be sure that Lamar Jackson is another level down. Anyways, uh, the Bengals season probably died that day at 5-5, five and five, embarrassed by a Baltimore team starting a rookie quarterback. I don't know where they go from here. I understand they didn't have A.J. Green, but Andy Dalton isn't exactly going to like carry the burden and just like bear them all the way to the playoffs. So I think that might be the end of the road for them. But hey, we'll see. Uh, the Lions and Panthers, we touched on it earlier, but a great game by the Lions and a really good game by the Panthers. Just a good NFL game in general as two solid teams scrapped it out. The Lions played up to their competition. Good on them. Uh, Slay had a solid game, and I'll tell you what, the Panthers receivers just balled out. Kenny Galladay caught eight balls for 113 yards and a score, and DJ Moore had an absolutely good gorgeous touchdown catch where he went full stretch got his two feet just barely in the end zone and scored it uh then making the game at that point 19 to 20 and then in a surprising fashion for the ron rivera led carolina panthers they elected to go for two against the lions and they missed it and it's not a very well-run play hey sometimes they don't work cam newton got upset lions win and ultimately the story of each team doesn't change a whole lot. Carolina still sits comfortably in the wild card spot at 6 and 4 ahead of the Minnesota Vikings by the way, and the Detroit Lions are still too far back to win the north and they're probably not overtaking Minnesota for the wild card spot. I think the Panthers are going to be a team we're going to see in the playoffs and ultimately this was a pretty good showing by them. We then had the Colts absolutely waste the Titans 38 to 10 at home. Uh, not a whole lot to say here. Luck just went on an absolute tear. He got enough time, and he made a Titans team that is, I mean, it's okay, but it's not super talented anywhere on the field. Pay for it. The Colts have now stormed their way to 5-5. Five and five. They look like they're a really, really hot football team. I'm curious to see where they go. And the Titans, where do they go from here? Great question. This is a team that two weeks ago embarrassed the Cowboys, walloped the Patriots last week, and then they took a beating this week. Who knows who they are? Cause I sure don't. And then I'll just uh, I'll just roll through a couple of these games really quickly. Uh, we had the, a bad team beating another bad team when the Giants beat the Buccaneers thirty eight thirty five. The Fitz magic is gone. Uh, it's like they woke up and realized that uh, spoiler alert Santa isn't real. And the Giants took home a win at home. The classic three-point favorite thing shows up again. Jameis Winston closes the game out with an interception. I mean, you could have written this one if you really tried. Uh, We then had the Steelers sleepwalk their way to a win over the Jaguars. It's literally as if they didn't care and just decided to show up at the last second, uh, scoring almost all of their points in the fourth quarter. According to ESPN's Derpy Graphics, the Steelers bounced back from a 97.7% Jaguar victory to take the game 20-16. This looked to me like one team that knew how to play football and another one that's somehow forgotten how to. The Broncos then beat the Chargers in the surprise of the day as Phillip Rivers had his worst game of the season. And you hope, if you're a Charger fan, that this isn't going to be a recurring thing. The Chargers are ultimately too talented to lose to the likes of the Broncos, uh, so, well, we'll see if they ha- this happens again. But the Chargers also have a franchise habit of choking recently, so we'll see what happens down the stretch. There are no Lions, but playoff pushes certainly haven't been kind to them. They are absolutely stacked, though, so certainly a team to watch. The Raiders then beat the Cardinals 23-21. to Yeah, a 1-8 team beat a 2-8 and team. Now they're both 2-8. That's the whole story. Josh Rosen had better grow up fast because this Arizona team doesn't seem like it's got a whole lot going for it, aside from David Johnson, of course. Deshaun Watson and the Texans then beat the Washington Redskins 23-21 to in one of the saddest stories of the day, not only because Deshaun Watson played a relatively poor game, but also because on the 33rd anniversary to the day of Joe Theismann's horrible, horrible injury, uh, Alex Smith fractured his tibula and fibula in an equally gruesome injury. I feel really bad for Alex Smith. This is a guy on his third team. He's been a great quarterback over the last year or so, and he was leading the Washington Redskins to a 6-3 and season so far. And now I, I hope he'll walk again. I doubt he'll play again. If he does play again, I'll be amazed because it's a bad, bad injury. All thoughts and prayers to him. I hope he gets better. Uh, Washington fans, Colt McCoy filled in as admirably as he could, but ultimately the magic of Deshaun Watson proved a little bit too much as the Texans are now 7-3, and three, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you told me he'd, they'd be here seven weeks ago, I really don't think I'd have believed you. And then one more quick note on the last game that's happened uh, so far. The Saints absolutely wasted the Eagles 48-7 to at home. They held absolutely nothing back, scored until it was societally inappropriate to do so. Drew Brees looks like he's the man. He looks like he wants to make sure everybody knows he's the man, and he has no intention of stopping anytime soon. The Saints are a joy to watch. I hope they can keep this up. History tells us that the greatest offenses at the middle of the season are not commonly the best offenses in the postseason, so we'll see whether the Saints can overcome that trend. Now let's move on to the newest segment of Bear With Me as I go over each of the games that are coming up in Week 12, and I'll just give a quick blurb, similar to what I just did, about what I think is going to happen. I'm not going to be predicting scores, I'm going to say who I think is going to win, and my relative degree of confidence on my decision there. We'll go ahead and skip the Bears-Lions game since we've already talked about it and jump right into the second game on Thursday. The Redskins play the Cowboys in their classic Thanksgiving game. I think the Cowboys have a ton to play for considering that if they win this game, they're going to tie the Redskins for the division with the head-to-head especially since the Redskins are no doubt going to be starting Colt McCoy, or at least a backup quarterback, I think the Cowboys win this one. It's certainly their game to lose. Now, for the life of me, I can't put it past the Cowboys that they might lose this game anyways. That seems to be how they work, where as soon as you think they're going to do one thing, they go out and they do the other. But either way, I have to stick with the football that I know. I think the Cowboys win this, and they win it by seven. Uh, Then we've got the Falcons and the Saints. Falcons coming to the Superdome. And I think we all know what I'm going to say here. I think the Saints win this one. They win it by 14 or more. I mean, this Falcons defense hasn't played well. The Falcons offense hasn't played well either. And the Saints offense and defense are both firing on levels that are just otherworldly right now. So unless they come crashing down and crashing down hard, I think the Saints are going to roll the Falcons up especially when you consider that Atlanta has to travel on their short week, and the Saints do not. So I think the Saints win this one, and they win it big. Moving on, I think the Giants are actually going to beat the Eagles. Uh, A lot of people would obviously think that you're going to have the Eagles beat the Giants uh, and rectify their season, therefore, but I think the Giants keep up their trend, and they take a surprising win against the Eagles, inside Philadelphia. I think this causes uh, Bleeding Green Nation and all the other Eagles fans around the country to absolutely lose their mind as the team goes into a tailspin. Carson Wentz continues to be frustrated and the Giants find their way to 4-7, and seven, which, believe it or not, will actually keep their playoff hopes alive. I think the NFC East is going to produce that bad team that we always see in the playoffs, a division leader that just isn't very good, but I'll tell you, I think the race to get there is going to be absolutely wild. The Giants coming out of nowhere. I have them winning, and I have them winning close. Moving on, we have the Jaguars at the Bills. And fun fact about this game, a quick Google for information showed me that the Jags uh, are starting Blake Bortles and the Bills are expected to start Josh Allen. I find it kind of funny that both teams, one because of injury and one because of bad play, are having to make it clear to the media who exactly is going to be playing for them. With that said, I think the Jaguars are a better team, but the Bills actually find the victory in this. Similar to the Giants and Eagles, I think this one's going to be close. I think this one's going to be a crappy game of football, Uh, but the Bills' defense is really good, and they're pretty darn solid at home. Uh, I've got them winning probably by about three. Then we have the Seahawks visiting the Panthers. We've got the Seahawks, who are a total like home dynamo and road Eskimo. I don't know if Eskimos are specifically non-aggressive, but they generally don't seem to play as well outside of the 12th man. The Panthers, on the other hand, are always really good in Carolina, beating that whole pound the rock drum or whatever it is that they have down there. While my gut says Panthers and is just screaming at me to take the Panthers, I actually think it's going to be the Seahawks who come away with this. The Seahawks are sitting at 5-5, five and five and they need some wins if they're going to be in the playoff picture. I don't think the Seahawks are going to go down quietly this year. I thought they would have a much, much worse season than they are. But Russell Wilson is reminding us once again that he's an extremely talented quarterback. Uh, so I'm actually going to take the Seahawks. I do have to take it close but I think that they'll win the game on the road. It'd be a big one for them moving on we have the Raiders at the Ravens I think the Ravens are going to win this one I don't tend to think that my reasoning has to be super well explained here the Raiders are bad they're two and eight one of their wins coming against the only other team bad enough to lose to them uh, and the Ravens are a pretty solid team I don't think the Raiders have enough pieces on defense they might have with Khalil Mack but they don't now to stop Lamar Jackson and the Ravens talented tandem of running backs I ultimately think the Ravens are going to win this one they're going to win it by a closer score of i think like five points uh the ravens tend to underscore but i do think that the raiders are going to lose then we've got the 49ers at the buccaneers and i think the buccaneers are primed for an offensive resurgence we're seeing Jameis winston get the ball back from ryan fitzpatrick and i think he goes on a tear against a not very good san fran 49ers team if you ask me, I think the Buccaneers are going to win this one and they're going to win it big. I'm talking 10 points or more. And it's not because of offensive ineptitude on the 49ers part. I expect them to score about 20, 23 points. But I think that Jameis and the Buccaneers are just going to have a great day that's going to throw Bucs Nation into total confusion about what to freaking do with the guy. We're talking about somebody that, if you're again, if you're asking me, I'd call him a bust. I don't think he's been very good. I've always thought that his accuracy was complicated and troublesome. If you throw a bunch of picks in college, you're probably not going to just magically fix that in the pros, but uh, he is a first-round pick. He's obviously got a lot of talent, and he's better than a lot of options that Tampa Bay has had in the past. I think this is a game, again, they win it pretty big, and it throws their whole organization into confusion about, ultimately, what do you do with him? And it might lead them down to a Bortles-esque road of an extension coming up. Next up, we've got the Browns visiting the Bengals, and this is an interesting one to call because since 2011, a.k.a. when Andy Dalton took over the Bengals, he has amassed an 11-3 record against the Browns. The Browns have not beaten the Bengals since 2014, and I think that changes this week. I'm not a huge believer in Baker Mayfield, but I am a big believer in Nick Chubb. And I think that what we saw against the Ravens is that the Bengals are weak on the ground. I think Chubb picks up another hundred yards or more, and the uh, Browns win this one closer than they expect, but I think they win it eh, by about four or more, a little more than a field goal. Next, we've got the Patriots visiting New York Jets, and I think the Patriots take care of business. I don't think there's any way they won't. Coming off a bye, Belichick's always good. The Patriots are well-rested. They just got embarrassed by the Titans, not to mention the Jets are in a total franchise tailspin. I don't think this one's hard to call. I'm taking the Patriots, and I'm taking them by a lot. I'm talking 10 or more at least. This will continue, of course, the hot seat underneath Todd Bowles' butt as the question becomes, do we fire him, do we not? Ultimately, I think they will, but that's a topic for another day. Patriots and the Patriots win big. Next up, we've got the Arizona Cardinals visiting the Chargers, and this is another gimme, in my opinion. Uh, the Chargers are going to win, and I think they're going to win big. Not only does it help that the Cardinals aren't very good, but the Chargers just lost a game that they absolutely shouldn't have lost to the Broncos. So I think they come out angry. I think Phil plays well, and the Chargers reestablish themselves as a very, 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 very good football team with, assuming they win, an 8-3 and record. You know, though, the more that I think about it, the more that I think this game's actually going to be closer than you'd think it would be. Uh, t- teams like this tend to come out, and they they play well. Uh, it's a dominating victory, or it very well could be, but the offense might not score as much as they should. Looking back at the Chargers' previous victories, they beat the uh, Oakland Raiders by only about 14 points in a 20-6 to game. Um, And then they obviously didn't play very well against the Broncos. uh, So with the Cardinals having a fairly stand up defense, this has potential to not be a big win at all, but instead be a surprisingly small win. So like six points when you give take the talent differential between the Chargers and the Cardinals. That's tight. Uh, So maybe the Cardinals squeak out another one of those like big shot touchdowns to Christian Kirk and then another David Johnson touchdown, make it a closer game at like 13 to 19, something like that. Uh, Next up, we've got the Steelers visiting the Broncos. I think the Broncos riding high off of their victory are going to lose. Uh, And the Steelers, who are coming in, having only just edged out the Jags, are going to play a lot better. Uh, This is either going to be a Steelers' big win or an embarrassing Steelers' loss. But I think that the former is much, much more likely. Uh, I think James Conner adds another touchdown. Big Ben plays his butt off again, and you've got another classic Steelers' victory. Next up, we have the Dolphins at the Colts. Uh, This one feels like a foregone conclusion to me, considering how hot the Colts have been think they're going to beat the Dolphins. But if Tannehill comes back, which is rumored at the moment, uh, we may see a tighter game than we would initially think. If it's Brock Osweiler, I think that the Colts will win by a hearty seven. If it's Tannehill, they can could lose, but I think the Colts will edge him out in some dramatic two-point victory or something like that. The Colts have been absolutely unstoppable. Andrew Luck is playing with his hair on fire. It's a whole lot of fun to watch. I personally hope it continues. I also think it will. It certainly doesn't hurt the Colts that the game's in Indy, which gives them that little bit of extra edge, considering that it's a turf stadium and the Dolphins are obviously used to playing on grass. Albert Wilson should continue to prove to be a weapon in this game, though, considering his speed ought to be amplified by that artificial turf. Again, I think the Colts win it close in a great game to watch. Next up, we've got another big NFC North tilt with the Packers visiting the Vikings, and this one is almost too close to call. If I, I mean, if I was betting, I'd push on this one because this has every ability for the Packers to win and keep their potential miracle run at the playoffs alive. And on the other side, the Vikings can't afford to lose this game. Uh, not to mention, teams have a tendency to bounce back and display improved. Aspects of their game when they're embarrassed on one side of the ball. I think the Vikings offense just got embarrassed. Their receivers are better than that. And I don't think that the Packers defense is quite ready to feel the full wrath of Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, and the rest of the Vikings offense. I I guess... If I'm really, like, as I work through this, I think I'm going to have to take the Vikings. I think the Vikings are a good team. I think they'll be able to control the flow of the game. But that Aaron Rodgers is obviously going to make this one spicy. Uh, So I'll take the Vikings. I have a very low degree of confidence on this game. uh, And I think that the Vikings will win it by seven. Uh, Again, I'm not confident at all on that one. Pretty well confident on everything else that you've heard except for that Chargers game. And then for the final game that I'll be discussing, the Titans visit the Texans, and I think the Texans roll them over. I think we see another Titans loss very similar to the one uh, that they just suffered at the hands of the Colts. Not that intense, but pretty gum bad. Deshaun Watson, who has actually made me a believer this season compared to his miraculous run last season, is going to have a nice bounce-back game as the Texans will move to 8-3, and three, and it's just going to be absolutely astounding. These guys are hot, they're on fire, and I think the Titans ultimately fall to these red-hot Texans. I'm going to take them by 10, uh, but I'm not Confident on that. I'm confident on them winning, but I'm not confident on the score. Mariota doesn't really impress me quite like Deshaun Watson does. And while Deshaun Watson absolutely has his deficiencies, and I'll come out with a, a quarterback talk at some point, really going into detail on how I feel about this, I do think that Watson has impressed me a lot more than I expected him to, uh, certainly more than Mariota has. And I trust him with the ball, uh, with the Monday night spotlight, a lot more than I do Mariota. Now, Mariota obviously impressed in Dallas, but I don't think these Texans are the same as those Dallas Texans. Wink. Anyways, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, I know it's a lot longer this time around, clocking in right around 38 minutes and 40 seconds so far, so please feel free to hit me up about what worked and what didn't work, what bits did you like, what bits did you not. Uh, My Twitter handle is R-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z 2-8. That's R Schmitz 28. Feel free to hit me up with a direct message or anything about what you liked, what you didn't. I'm happy to talk bears or any other team. I'll also make sure to try to come at y'all sooner, uh, see if I can have the podcast up by either Friday or Saturday after the Bears game, Uh, because this is Bears-themed. It also means that I'll be a little bit limited on what games have and haven't happened yet. If you like the segments that I do regarding the games, and certainly the games going forward, I'm happy to do a second episode on Monday. Each one would be a little bit shorter than the other, so you'd have your pick on which one to listen to. Anyways... Uh, That about does it for me. I'm your host, Robert Schmitz, and thank you for bearing with me.